This is the Fixer Upper Marriage Podcast, because marriage without maintenance will break. Together, we are learning how to make marriage and love better. I am your happily married host, Jason R. Parham. Adding on to a Fixer Upper house can be a great but challenging investment. Likewise, adding kids to your Fixer Upper marriage can be a great but daunting task. Join the Fixer Upper marriage class via live recording as we learn how to have a great marriage after having children. For notes, references, and additional content, visit fixeruppermarriage.org slash children. If you find this podcast episode helpful to you, consider sharing it with a friend. So here it is, adding on to your Fixer Upper, three ways to have a great marriage after having children. Twenty-seven, verse number three. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed. They shall speak with the enemies in the gate. How you can have a great marriage after having children. So when you think about adding on to a house, adding on to a Fixer upper, a house that you're fixing up is a huge project to add on to a house. I've never done it, but I've heard that it's a major project to undertake. And you add on to the house that you have, and it can be challenging to add on to a house, but it can be very rewarding. And when you make that decision to have children, it's the same way in marriage. Children can be both challenging and rewarding at the same time. But there's a decision that has to take place about adding on to your fixer upper. It all starts with an amazing love story, right? Two people fall hopelessly in love and they enter into the marriage covenant. They become husband and wife. I mean, they just say these vows to each other and we make these vows. We're going to love each other as long as we're going to live. And then, you know, we, we get married and we have this wonderful opportunity to have this feeling of completion and satisfaction emotionally and physically in marriage that in no other way those things could be fulfilled, no other earthly relationship. And then it happens, right? It happens in just about all marriages. We come to this point where we've been married maybe for a little while or maybe in our case it wasn't so long we were married and we decided to bring children into this world. And sometimes maybe I think sometimes people fall in love and they have this dream about getting married and then you get married and it's kind of like not what you thought it would be, right? And then, well, let's have kids because that's a part of the dream too. So you have kids and that changes everything. It's just natural to want to be uh, a parent after you get married. It's something that's instinctual that we have. What happens is to your lovers and then you become parents. It's like a transition that occurs. Things begin to change. I remember all the countless hours when my wife was pregnant with our first child. I remember those countless hours that I spent talking to the baby in the womb. Does anybody, anybody else do that? I mean, we read to our child in the womb. I don't know who taught us to do that, or maybe it's just something everybody does. But I remember reading to all my kids in those nine months that we waited in anticipation. And then finally we have a baby and we were so excited. It's like I remember those moments when my kids were born. It's like time just stood still. I remember when they took their I was in the room when each of them took their first breath. And I remember all of my girls when I I would talk to them as soon as they were born and they took their first breath and they recognized my voice was such an incredible thing 
They just turned with their eyes shut and looked to see where my voice was coming from because they knew that I was their daddy. And what an amazing thing it is to have children in your life. But even though adding on to your fixer upper, adding on to your fixer upper marriage can be exciting and joyful. You know, the changes it affects can be like astronomical. It's like a bomb goes off in your marriage. Once you have children, I mean, everything changes. Today we're going to learn about three ways you can have a great marriage after having children. Three ways you can learn to have a great marriage even after having children. And that can be challenging, but it can be done. All right. Number one, learn to work together as a team. Prayerfully decide together about having children. You know, it's a great idea to discuss the prospect of having children before you get married. It might be a good thing to talk about. Maybe that's something that uh, people need to emphasize a little more. When I was dating my wife, she said that she wanted to have 10 children. And after I picked my jaws up off the floor, I mean, I was like, we, how many kids? You know, I was like in shock. But, you know, come to find out we both love children. We both love having kids. And we just said, we'll have as many as God wants us to have. And we'll take it just one child at a time. And, you know, we had our first child was stillborn. And then our next baby came along and my wife was in the hospital like three months. And the whole 10 kids thing just we threw that out the window, you know, this, we can't do this uh, nine more times. This is not going to happen. This is too much. But, you know, pray about those things together. It's something that you pray about together throughout the course of your marriage. You know, I've known some people and they just want to have as many as they can. And they just that's just the way they are. And that's their business. And that's something that they prayed about and that they want to do. And that's fine. And every situation and circumstance is different. But to talk to each other prior to having kids, communicate that to each other. And that causes a lot of problems in marriage. Maybe both spouses are not on board with that. And you hear about that sometimes. Communicate your expectations of each other. Communicate your expectations of each other. Seriously discuss the role that each other should play in raising and caring for your children. Some people grow up and they grow up in a home where the dad does absolutely nothing around the house. I mean, I know men and they do absolutely nothing. And then the wife has a baby and they don't help with the baby at all. I mean, that's just the way it is in their house. And maybe circumstances, I don't know, maybe situations, maybe it was just the wife didn't mind. She wanted to do everything. She felt like that was her job and he had his job or whatever. And then there are other situations where you may grow up. And I know in our home, I end up because of my wife's health. I end up doing a lot of things around the house and I help out a lot with the kids. So there's different expectations. But talk about communicate your expectations with each other. You know what? Your husband, he may have been raised the way that uh does it help around? He don't think he should help around the house or he should help around the kids. And maybe you expect him to. And, and you maybe when you ask him to, he resents that because he wasn't raised that way. But if you sit down and talk about it and talk about those concerns and communicate your expectations with one another, maybe you can find a way to make things work in your marriage. If you expect your wife to do everything related to health, related to taking care of the kids, you need to communicate that with her and let her know, hey, I expect you to do everything. And you may get a, a, a frying pan in the face, but, <laughs> but you, you need to talk about these things. You need to work these things out together. You need to be a team. You need to learn how to communicate and like collaborate together. Hey, we're raising a family together. This is something that we're doing. Deciding in advance, it can prevent 
conflict in your marriage. You know, maybe it might be unreasonable to expect your husband to get up all throughout the night to take care of the kid when he has to get up at four o'clock in the morning, right? Or maybe you could agree to take turns during the night. Hey, this is your night to get up and take care of the baby, or this is your turn to get up and take care of the baby. Or, you know what, maybe if your husband has to get up for work, maybe he could say, hey, wait a second, when I get off work, I'll take the baby for a little while and give you some time to just be alone and just not have to, to deal with the baby constantly. So you decide in advance and it prevents conflict. We've already talked about this. We're both on the same page. We understand what our expectations of each other are. And this is what we're going to do. And by deciding in advance, it prevents it prevents those things from being a problem in your marriage. You know, my wife and I have been really blessed to have her working at home as a homemaker. And I would highly recommend that format to anybody. I mean, I really enjoy my wife enjoys being home with the kids. I feel like she's raising them and what a blessing that is. I would recommend that to anybody in, in, in our society we live in today. I mean, sometimes my wife feels embarrassed to let people know that she's a homemaker. And I'm like, no, that is an, an honor. And then I have people think I'm snooty when I say my wife is a homemaker. Like, how much do you make? <laughs> you know, like, it's like, no, I don't make that much money. We just made that decision together. You know, when we were, court, when we were dating, she said, I want to be a homemaker. That's my dream job is to be a homemaker. And that is an awesome calling. That is an awesome job to have, isn't it? I, mean, I looked it up according to salary.com. There'll be links in the show notes when I get it put up on our website. But stay-at-home moms would have, if they got paid for everything they did, would have a medium income of, wait for this, $162,581 in 2018 dollars. So that is a very, uh, I don't make that much, do you? I don't make that kind of money. That's a lot of money, but that's what it would be worth if you paid a stay-at-home mom for all the jobs that she does. So it's very valuable. It's a very incredible thing to do. And even on the website, I'll have a link. You can even go and you can put in your particular circumstances. If you had to work a part-time job or you weren't able to stay at home, you can put in whatever your circumstance you are and see the value of being a stay-at-home mom, what it really means, what it's really worth in financial terms. And I would say that is worth a lot. And $162,000 is a lot of money in a year. You know, if you consider that a sacrifice, if you consider this a sacrifice for my wife to stay at home, or we live in a modest home. I'm okay with that. You know, we drive our cars for a long time. You know what? Our neighbors, they get, you know, six or I mean, people that have six or seven new cars and trucks or whatever. And we just keep driving the same cars as long as they'll go. But, you know, if you, that's not really a sacrifice. But if you want to call that a sacrifice, I mean, that's worth it for my wife to be at home because it's invaluable to our family. And the Bible even advocates, and you can look it up when you get home if you like. I have it in the show notes when I get it put up. In Titus chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, the Bible even advocates women, uh, older women teaching the younger women to be what keepers at home. So learning how to take care of family. I teach my girls all the time. You know, they start talking about careers that they might be interested in. And I said, well, you know, that's good and that's awesome. But, you know, the most important career you could ever have is to be a wife and a mother. And I believe that. And that's true. And I believe that that is a biblical way of raising your family. But communicate your expectations to each other. And in this communication, you prevent conflict in your marriage. Decide on how you intend on raising your children. Discuss how you intend on raising your kids as a team, as a team. For instance, you may want to have your kids to be involved. You may want to raise them to be involved in church. Well, you need to have a plan together to make that happen. Hey, we're going to be 
faithful to church. We're going to be faithful to these activities. This is the type of church that we want to be a part of, and we're both on the same page. So communicate that to one another. Decide on how you intend on raising your children. Is it also important to decide how you want to discipline the kids? You know, sometimes this becomes a huge problem in marriage. How and the when of disciplining your children? I would recommend that the husband, I believe the Bible lines up with the Bible, be the primary disciplinarian in the home. And then in the absence of the husband, then the wife would be the disciplinarian of the kids. But get that on the same page. Make sure you're on the same page. You know what? My wife knows when I'm home, it's time for me to discipline the kids. It's time for me to make sure that the kids are are doing what they're supposed to do. Now, in my absence, she does that. But have that communicated with another and it prevents conflict in your home. Decide how you want to raise your kids. It's important to agree on the matter of discipline with your kids. Additionally, there are other areas of training that you may feel important to communicate with your spouse. And you try to work with each other as much as possible. Maybe it's your desire for all your kids to learn how to play the piano, right? So you need to get on the same page and try to work to make that happen, if that's something important to you. But work together as a couple. It's like you're a team. When you get married and you have kids, you're a team raising the kids. So you're working together. You're collaborating together. Number two, become more deliberate in your attention. The pressures and responsibilities of parenthood have a tendency to overshadow the needs in your marriage. If you're not careful, you will completely stop being lovers and just become parents. In an article by Fortune.com, I guess that's Fortune magazine. Now all the magazines have websites now, so it's Fortune.com. Reveals that after decades of study, relationship satisfaction in couples with kids decline twice as fast as those who don't. You have a tendency when kids come into the picture that your satisfaction in marriage and your relationship with your spouse goes down in a hurry. And we can all attest to that. If we've had kids and been through it, it takes a lot of work to keep your marriage where it should be once you have kids. Kids put an enormous strain on marriage. I know some couples that just stay together for just the sake of the kids. I mean, it's really contradictory, isn't it? I mean, really, what kind of example are you setting? My parents stayed together for 30 years and they fought and fussed the whole time. Well, that's not a picture of Christ in the church at all. The better thing to do was just correct the problems in your marriage. I mean, just learn how to get along with each other. Learn how to communicate. Learn how to love each other. You can do that through the God's help and through the power of his word. Become more deliberate in your attention. Prioritize your spouse above your kids. How many of us have seen that happen? We start to have kids and we put all our emphasis on our kids and it's like your spouse doesn't exist anymore. It's like your marriage relationship is just through. It's like it's over. Now we have kids now, so we're not even going to focus on each other at all. And that's not the way it should be. The Bible lays out principles of life in regard to family or relationships in the order of their importance. Number one, if we can stack them up, God is the most important thing. Knowing God and knowing him personally, having a right relationship would be on the top of anybody's list relationship wise is having yourself right with God. Number two would be your spouse. I mean, you're besides the Lord. That's the most important relationship that you have on this earth is a person that you enter into the marriage covenant with. So have God on top, then your spouse and then your children come next in that line of then that chain in the way our relationship should be. God gives you children to raise and to teach. And like I read this morning, they're like arrows that you send out in this world to make a mark. But you send the children out of the home. 
Husband and wife stay in the home. You stay together. So it's important that that relationship be even more important than your relationship with your kids. And many times couples lose their love for each other with all the responsibilities of being a parent. And the husband, now they have a kid. Now the husband has to work extra hours. Especially maybe if you're like me and your wife stays, stays at home and she's a homemaker. Well, you might have to work some extra hours sometimes to pay the bills. And all of a sudden, those hours that you did have to spend together, now you're having to take a little bit more time to help provide for your family or the wife that used to spend time with her with her husband as soon as he came home from work. I remember what it was like when I first got married. Y'all remember that? I mean, when you first I walked in the door, my wife kind of just jumped into my arms. I'm so glad you're home, honey. And, you know, just kissed me in the face. And it was so exciting. You're home. Well, then you have kids and you come home and it's like, I'm, we're finally home. What took you so long? <laughs> There's crying kids everywhere and dishes in the sink. And what in the world is going on? But that's the way life is sometimes. That's the way... Just happened, but you have to be deliberate in the attention that you give to your spouse. By the end of the day, both parents are too exhausted to be with one another, right? The husband is too tired to listen to his wife. No, I had to work overtime a day and listen to a bunch of complaining people all day. I don't want to hear you complain about all your problems now. And then the wife is too tired to be with her husband and spend that attention and give that attention to him. And then your marriage begins to suffer. But to be honest, when you're busiest in your life, when you're the busiest in your life, that's when you need the Lord the most, isn't it? You need him the most when you're the busiest. That's when you should really say, I'm really busy right now. I really need you to help me, God. We all know that as Christians, right? It's the same way in marriage. When you're the busiest, that's when you really need to spend time with each other the most. That's when you really need to put attention to one another. That's when you really need to put attention on your marriage. You absolutely must refocus on your relationship with your spouse. Now, what you cannot let your life as as your romantic relationship as husband and wife just die and go out the window just because you have kids and other responsibilities, because one day it's just going to be the two of you again. And if you don't have that relationship If you don't have that relationship protected, it could be tragic down the road. What happens when those kids leave? Now we don't have anything in common. We haven't been working on a relationship with all these years. So these things can can really come into play and hurt your marriage relationship. There's this new trend going on. It's called gray divorce. Have you ever heard of that? It's in statistics and psychology. They call it gray divorce. It's people over 50 getting divorced, and it's a trending thing. Since 1990, the rate of couples over 50 being divorced has actually doubled, and they call it the gray divorce trend. So this is something that happens. What a shame. A marriage that survives for all those years, and they didn't protect their heart. They didn't protect their love for each other. And then the kids grow up and leave home, and, and they get divorced. Put up with this for all these years, no more. Right? I've been miserable for all these years. I did it for the kids, like I said, or whatever your reasoning was, and now it's now I'm I'm done. I'm through with this. But that happens. That's a trend. Protect your heart and your love together, and you can have a long-lasting relationship with one another. Spend quality time together. How many times do we have to say it over and over? I need to tell myself over and over. Spend quality time together. With all the stress of being a parent, learn to hit the pause button every now and then and just be alone and be together as a couple. Here's some more date night ideas that were submitted to my email address at jason at fixerupermarriage.org. 
You have more ideas, you're welcome to submit them. And I'll be glad to take uh, tell others about that and use them for my own benefit. Right. I'm being a little bit selfish by asking for ideas because I would like to have great ideas. Here's one. Go on a hike together. Maybe that's not for everybody. Right. But you can go on a hike together. I think that's a great idea. How about this? Take a painting course class together. I know they have those at Hobby Lobby. Right. You can take a painting course together. Although I don't think I would be very good at painting. Although I used to like to watch the guy. Who was it that, that uh, Bob Ross? I mean, that guy could paint anything. Oh, wow. They teach his style of painting at Hobby Lobby. There you go. So I used to watch the light, although he was incredibly boring, right? But it's amazing what he could paint. It's amazing what he did with a paintbrush, but as far as being a speaker, I mean, the guy really needed to inflect his voice or something. I mean, but he did a great job at painting, but you can take painting classes together. Or how about just have a picnic? I like picnics, don't you? Have a picnic together or visit a coffee shop or read, read a book aloud together. That's a great idea to spend time together. And that doesn't cost you anything other than maybe the cost of the book, right? But you can spend time together that way, reading a book aloud. But taking time to really listen to your wife can go a long way to meeting her romantic needs. And when I say listen to her, I mean listen to her to the point where, and this is hard for me to do, but listen to her to the point of I can summarize what she just told me if I had to back to her. Listen to your spouse in a way that you could summarize and you kind of know what she's saying. You're listening to her, not just like I do sometimes. I'm daydreaming about what I'm going to do later or something funny that happened or and I'm halfway listening. And maybe I could say the last word she used. Oh, yeah, you said that word. Listening to the point where you understand what your wife is saying. That could go a long way to making your marriage stronger. It could go a long way into meeting her her emotional and romantic needs. It's just hardwired into a woman. God hardwired into her to talk about how she feels and to want someone to care about the way she feels and what's going on in her life. If you don't believe me, just turn this called the Hallmark Channel. And women watch that and just cry about how they feel and what's going on and, and want to talk about. My wife, she likes to talk about how she feels. And it's my job as her husband to listen to what she has to say. God made men and women different in ways that should be appreciated and cultivated by each other within the marriage covenant. So even though, yes, we're different, God made us different. And that goes contrary to what we've been taught today, right? The feminist movement has really, really hurt women. I mean, it really has. I mean, you're supposed to be like a man and a man, you're supposed to be like a woman. I mean, really messed up. The, the what God would intend for marriage to be. But God made us different and we should appreciate those differences and cultivate those differences with one another. Men are also hardwired to receive attention from the opposite sex. I mean, the feminist movement has just worked so hard to villainize this aspect of manhood. I mean, man, men were created with different romantic needs than women. It doesn't make it bad. It doesn't make that wrong. I mean, let's just be honest. Men are not very complicated. Women, I would say, emotionally are complicated. Men are not that complicated. You know, it's not that hard to make a guy happy. I mean, he just wants a few minutes of attention, just a few minutes of your time. Just a little attention and admiration from his wife can go a long way to making a husband feel like he's on top of the world. I mean, just that little bit of attention, that little bit of admiration can really make a huge difference. It can really make a huge difference in the way that your husband feels when you when your husband is attracted to you, it should be a good thing. You know, I don't understand that. I mean, I see that all the time. You know, if your husband 
is attracted to you, you should be thankful for that. You should be grateful for that. Not, I mean, it's like you, it's like men are treated like they're evil or something because they're attracted to their wife. I mean, it's, it's that feminist movement. I think that's where that comes from. Men have been villainized in the world we live in today. I mean, really think about it. Would you rather your husband be attracted to someone else? Would you rather seek, would you rather your husband seek attention from the lady at work? Would you rather him seek attention from uh, some woman on a, a screen or some woman he follows on social media? Right? No, you wouldn't want that. But for some reason, for some reason, it's just been, we're programmed today in all the media, the mainstream media, as we say, and all the things going on and this agenda that people have, they're trying to push on us today. It really degrades manhood. I mean, like manhood is a bad thing. You know what? God created us. I mean, women should be treated with respect and dignity, but we're all created differently, right? The sexes were intended to be different and we have different ways of doing things. That's why we end up getting married to begin with. That's why I married my wife. She was so different than me. And I found that so attractive that she was different than me. But you know what? Those differences are what we can cultivate with one another in our relationship and make our marriage stronger. Go out of your way to spend quality time as a couple, even when you are too tired or too busy. You can make your life meaningful with your spouse by doing these things. Remember the little things. Remember the little things. Keep up with the little things that make your love and relationship special. Keep sending those flirty text messages like you used to to each other. Keep buying flowers and cards like you used to, right? Keep leaving those sweet love notes. Keep wearing your husband's favorite outfit. Keep holding hands. Keep saying the words, I love you. These are the little things that can make a huge difference in your marriage. Remember the little things. Number three Discover the value of enduring hardships. Discover the value of enduring hardship. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Hardships are something that is valuable. The Bible teaches the value of enduring hardness in your service for the Lord, but this is also a principle that goes into marriage as well. You know, there's this dirty little secret about marriage that everybody goes through rough spots. I'm so secret. We don't want anybody to know that we ever have problems. We're all perfect. And we're, but every marriage, everybody goes through these rough spot parts. Regardless, hard times in marriage are inevitable. Maybe it's for a few months that you have some problems in your marriage. Or maybe it's for a few years when things are not going the way that maybe you think they should go. Or maybe your expectations, your spouse isn't living up to your expectations for whatever reason. For a certain amount of time, and it's a rough patch in your marriage. But learn to endure those times. Learn to endure those things in your marriage. You know, sometimes these things happen when your your spouse and you face a crisis like grief or financial loss, and the pressure of these hardships they can either pull you together or draw you apart. But hardships are valuable to marriage because it galvanizes your love for each other, and by going through things together, your love becomes stronger. And even when your marriage and your love is challenged by additions, right? When it's challenged by children, your love and your faith in God can grow stronger. Your love for each other can grow stronger if you learn how to deal with those things in the right way. If you still love and respect your spouse like you should. And guess what? Those additions 
are watching the way you respond to hardships. So it's important that you learn to endure those hardships because those additions that are watching me and are watching you, their perception of what they're supposed to do for their rest of their life is based on what they see you do. And so they're going to mimic what you do. So if you respond right to hardships in your marriage, but learn to endure those hardships. You know, sometimes we want everything to be perfectly comfortable. I think about uh, Robert South, who is a firefighter. I'm sure when he puts all the firefighter garb on, it is very uncomfortable. I mean, it's probably hot in there. And then he goes into a fire, right? I mean, it's just so uncomfortable. But you know what? It benefits him to endure the uncomfortableness of having that fire suit on because of what he's able to do, the lives he's able to save and the things he's able to do in that suit. Marriage is the same way, even though we're having problems, even though things are uncomfortable. Learn to endure a little bit. Learn to endure some things. Okay, this isn't exactly the way I want it right now, but that's okay. I can deal with it. You know what? It may be a little cold right now, but I can put a sweater on, right, in the house. You can learn to deal with things in your marriage. Learn to endure things. Have a love that gives. Have a love that gives when you endure these things in your marriage. Give your love to your spouse until you have nothing left to give and then give some more. You know what you have in being happily married is the envy of the world. You know how many people wish they were happily married? You have something that is the envy of the world when you are happily married, when you're in love. And everybody wants to be in love. Everybody wants to feel that feeling of romance. Everybody wants to be loved by somebody. Well, you have that in marriage and you when you're right with God and you're right with one another, you have that. You're the envy of the world. In those times when hardships come and your marriage is the most vulnerable, that's the time when you need to give more to your marriage. That's the time when you need to give more to your love. Now, I love my wife. Therefore, I'm willing to give up something that I may want so that she can have something that she wants. It's a great secret of the success of marriage. That is in giving yourself away, you find the real joy in being in love and in life. What if you are happily married, if you're married to your wife and you are giving yourself and you're giving of yourself and your wife is giving of herself, you have an amazing relationship that's unmatched by anything except for Christ and the church. There's a short story that was first published in 1905 by O. Henry entitled The Gift of the Magi. And in this story, maybe you've heard of it, I don't know, but there's a very poor couple who were just madly in love with each other. His name was Jim and her name was Della. And the most valuable thing that Jim owned was a watch and he needed to get his wife something for Christmas and he was very poor. So what does he do? He goes and sells his watch to buy combs for his wife, who her most valuable asset was her beautiful flowing hair. And guess what she does? She goes and sells the most valuable thing that she has, which is her beautiful flowing hair. And she buys him a chain for his watch. And then on Christmas Day, that evening, Christmas Day, they exchange gifts. And he he gives her these beautiful combs that she can't use because she's given away her hair. And she gives him this watch chain that he can't use because he has sold his his watch (laughs) But the story is that when you give, you find the real joy of being in love. 
And these people were madly in love and they found the real joy. Give until you can't give anymore. Conclusion, three ways. You have a great marriage even after having children. Number one, learn how to work together as a team. Number two, Become more deliberate in your attention. And you do when you get married. You have to. It's so easy when it's just two of you. But then when kids come in the picture and all these responsibilities start to pull at you, you really have to be deliberate in giving attention to your marriage and to your spouse and doing those things that help your marriage and your relationship. Number three, discover the value in enduring hardship. You know what? You can endure the rough patches in your marriage because you know that it's going to pay off because the love that you have for one another and the marriage that you're going to have with each other. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the privilege it is to be in your house and to learn about uh, marriage from the pages of Scripture and those principles that we've learned today. May we apply those to our marriage and may we have stronger marriages and may our marriages be the envy of the world when people, our family and our kids look at us. May they see and view something that they desire, that they want, that they're missing in their life. And may they see the love of Christ through the relationship that we have. We ask these things in your name.